1: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is Stanford Law Professor and Co-Director of the School's Supreme Court Litigation Clinic, Pam Carlin. Now remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Pliticon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Zbiotics beam, and real paper, and our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors because it helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. James, we have probably a week's worth of stories that we could discuss today. Special counsel clears Biden of criminally hiding classified documents, as Trump did, but after interviewing interviewing him, painted a picture of a doddering old man with memory lapses. House Republicans, in a blatantly partisan act, narrowly voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, even though they couldn't find any high crimes or misdemeanors. And Donald Trump said that he'd encourage his pal Vladimir Putin to attack any NATO country whose defense budget wasn't sufficiently big enough. But first the closely watched special congressional election in New York's Long Island district. Democrat Tom Swasey won a decisive victory, not a close victory, at least eight points, a pickup that further narrows the GOP's margin in the House. You know, it's important. This is a sort of suburban swing district that's critical in November, and Swasey is has a a pretty effective message, toughen immigration and crime, huge emphasis on abortion, and attack the right-wing Republican crazies in the House. Uh, This may be a model for Democrats in close contests. But also, James, as you have pointed out, innumerable times, it continues the Democratic win streak in special elections. They also won a state legislative seat in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. James, did you feel a little sense of relief
2: after the last couple weeks when the New York 3 results rolled in? Yeah, I mean, I I did, to be honest with you. Uh, We had a much stronger candidate, and he did something that was smart. He never got sucked in by the left, ever. He stayed anti-crime, you know, stayed where you should be on, on migration. He was for orderly legal immigration. They had a, a, a very poor candidate, to say the least. But having said that, eight points was pretty good. Uh, and they, they, they thought they had a real shot. I think at some point we thought they might have had a real shot. They had won and every I mean, election this is in Long
1: Drunk. Island, Nassau County, Suffolk County, uh, since uh, 2020.
2: Right. Well, we ran somebody with a background yep. that helped. And let me tell you, they were running this stuff. The New York Post was running this stuff every day, front page, everything they could do. And, uh, you know, people said, well, abortion stuff won't matter as much in New York State because people don't feel as threatened by it, so it won't have the same saliency. And then people say, well, it's a special election. I don't read too much from it. Well, can I read something from like 15 special elections in a row that we won? Now, I don't know what, what it is, but clearly... People don't want to vote for Republicans. That's clear. Now, whether they want to vote for Biden or how that translates into the presidential race is quite another story. But what is abundantly clear over any number of elections, and they say, well, Republicans don't come out in special elections. Well, that used to not be the case. It used to be the case we would lose them because they would come out. And so that speak something also to american politics but i it was a it was a leave jim gerstein i'll send it to you right away he texted me before the polls close i guess they knew something on turnout models that he thought we'd win by four I, I, i'll give jim credit what he meant to say would be four over 50. hey <laughs> one of the great posters in america
1: and a fabulous guest on this uh, show and a. And did a,
2: right. and a a great man and, and a great guy. He really did a great job it's up in meeting. up in
1: that in, in, in that race. And uh, you're right; uh, it was the it was the right message. Tough on immigration and crime. Huge emphasis on abortion and go after the Republican crazies. That's something that should sell in it's most it. districts in America. So let's see if they if they pick up on it. Uh, James, let me turn to the crazies, uh, the Mayorkas impeachment. No grounds. And uh, uh, it was after the House crazies rejected a bipartisan immigration bill that actually would have done something about illegal entries. Uh, but they did that at the orders of Donald Trump. But it really showed how unserious these clowns are. Even a few strong conservatives like Wisconsin's Mike Gallagher, who is widely considered to be a rising star in the party. I didn't agree with him on much, but most conservatives you talked to said, Mike Gallagher's, Gallagher's a guy to watch. The, the Wisconsin Democrats did not want him to run for the Senate. So now he's quitting. He's leaving. The clown show is too much. Uh, it, and, and it really is. It has to catch up with him at some point,
2: James. Well, I suspect the reason he's leaving is he couldn't win a primary. And Adam Kinzinger, yeah. great guy, yeah. he left because he wasn't going to win. Liz Cheney, well, she's a great person. She stayed. She right. lost by 50 right. points. We, we talk about the Republican Party is doing exactly what its voters want it to do. It really does. And it's, it, it, it's so hard to, to digest all of this. And Mike Johnson, you know, I used to, like, could detested him uh, He's now become some kind of a pathetic character. And, and we, we, it's just hard to realize how impossible a job they put their people in. And I don't think they're going to get rid of him because I don't think there's anywhere else he can go.
1: No, uh, you know, I think you're right. If you look at that House caucus right now, it is a uh, Republican caucus. There's sort of five types, if you will. The weirdos, Mike Johnson is one. I mean, he's a homophobe and, you know, watches porno with his sons. Homophobe. Yes, yeah, totally obsessed. There yeah, are, secondly, yeah, the, the guys obsessed. that are just dumb, like Jim Comer, whose IQ probably isn't room temperature. Thirdly, there's the thugs, like Jim Jordan, who, who covered up a, uh, a sex scandal in the Ohio State wrestling team. Still is getting away with it. It's You know, It's outrageous. Uh, and, and then there are the cowards like the timid 20, uh, and we'll see if they pay a price. These are not, these are, I mean, Tom Keene's son in New Jersey, uh, or those New York lawmakers, they knew the Mayorkas thing was a total fraud, but they were afraid to cross, uh, the great Don. And, uh, so we'll see what happens, but it really is, it's, it's the craziest group of house members that I have ever seen. And I've been around this town for a long time.
2: Yes, they're crazy, because their voters demand that yeah. they be crazy. That listen to me, people. What they're doing is democracy in action. I don't think some of some, some of them are really crazy, but if you went in there and you weren't crazy and you wanted to be renominated by your party, yeah. you got to get crazy and you better yeah. get crazy. You, think
1: you got crazy pills. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene maybe could take some of those Jewish laser beams and, you know, and turn them into pills to make you to make you crazier. But it's a it's a hell of a collection.
2: Yeah, I, I think she's genuinely crazy. I, I wish some insider would, would do to separate the Republicans into those that are genuinely crazy and those that are acting crazy mm-hmm. to get renominated. I mean, we know the obvious ones that are. Genuinely crazy, but I suspect a lot of them are not. But it doesn't matter. So when you vote on something like this, it, it, there's no record. It's just you vote to impeach. It, what your reason does not matter, nor should it. And of course, you're doing something that you know better. But you you say, well, what would be better, if, me if I if I don't vote to impeach him, I won't. I won't get the nomination. The Democrat will win the seat, and then that means that the communists take over. Right? Or some right. rationality comes in. There's a rationale behind all of this. So, in order to stop the communists, all right, <laughs> we, we, we have to appease the crazies. That—that's the price of fighting communism. That's how tortured the whole fucking logic is.
1: James, you got to go to a. You know, a, a theme park in Havana to find a communist these days—they don't exist, but but they have to exist in their minds. Yeah, uh, they uh, have to. No, no I, I, you're uh, absolutely uh, uh, right, and and of course, it's their voters, and it's and, and it's their leader. You know, the commandant. Uh, Trump. They're petrified of having him attack them. <clears throat> I mean, the worst thing, the, I think, really, the, forced, the four-time indicted Trump did was to sabotage NATO, an alliance, uh, uh, challenges that have served the collective interest of Western Europe and of, the, of America for 75 years. has some challenges, but it protected us from Russian invasions, as they did in Ukraine, which is not a NATO member. But Putin... Actually, it's much closer to Trump's authoritarianism or Trump's authoritarianism is much closer to Putin than Democratic elected governments in Germany or Lithuania or Finland. So uh, what he did, what he's trying to do in sabotaging this Ukraine bill that the Senate passed, what, 70 to 29, uh, almost half the Republicans. And let's give, let's give uh, Mitch, Mc, Mitch McConnell a lot of credit on this. And now your, your, your boy from Louisiana, Mike Johnson, is uh, hiding behind the covers. he's so scared, and doesn't even want to bring it up.
2: Well, I think, first of all, I just all along, and I'll repeat it I actually think there is a PK. I do. But the, the, it, it, absent that, there's horribly incriminating evidence that Putin has over Trump. And of course, his total control on the Republican Party makes make this possible. So now he kicks out Ronald McDaniel. It's a kind of pathetic, weak figure, and is putting Laura Trump there. Now, why would Trump be doing that? Anytime you have any question about Trump, answer answers money. Because Ronald McDaniel, for all of her flaws, had this quaint idea that, the purpose of the Republican National Committee was to help Republican candidates get elected. So she wanted to put the money in campaigns. And Trump, of course, wants the money in his legal defense fund. So goodbye, Rona. Hello, Laura. It's right in front of, And you. know what the rank-and-file Republicans going to say? Fine. I'll send more money to this criminal. I'll send more money so he can steal from me. You know, if, 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 if he said, you know, what is a field, field of dreams? If you ask for it, they'll give it to you. And you can tell him that he's stealing it, that he's not using it for the intended purposes, that he's putting the money in his pocket, that he's paying his law in, incompetent buffoon lawyers. And you know what they'll do? They'll send more money. Because the problem is not Republican politicians. The problem is Republican voters. And they're utter fools. There's nothing you can do to change their mind. You can do like like we did in New York 3. We can nominate sane candidates who hadn't fallen in for all this mm-hmm. left-wing stupidity and who are willing to contrast themselves as good, you know, favoring good progressive common-sense policies. And we could win some elections. But it's all about their voters and what they want, and it's very clear. And the the, the, the terrible twenty or the, the the timid twenty and the other two, they can't do anything. They're caught. Yeah. They're stuck. It must be some hell to live in as a politician. That you have to act crazy, and you have to justify your craziness under some. Convoluted logic that by submitting to the mega madness, you're, you're stopping the return of, of Lenin or uh, Trotsky. I don't know something. I have no idea. But James, that's can right they else. use
1: some of that uh, RNC money to have a concert for um, uh,
2: for what's her name, Laura Trump? Uh, you ever heard her sing? I, I did. I, I was treated to that this morning, and I was going through there, and I have to say, my my daughter's when I, the few times I've been stupid enough or drunk enough to try to sing, they said, Daddy, your voice sounds like goose parts. <laughs> <I>, that's, <laughs> that's a probably good way to describe her voice. <laughs> goose uh, <part. laughs>
1: My wife won't let me sing in church. That's how bad I am. But, uh, you know, she's right up there.
2: Yeah, it, I, uh, I, I can't, I've never been to <laughs> church at drunk.
1: I, um, you know, this was... I mean, bad things happen to the Republicans, New York Three and the silly impeachment of Mallorca. It wasn't silly. It was just, it was, it was disgraceful. Uh, and uh, what Mike Johnson's doing, but it was a bad week for Biden too. Uh, the special counsel, Robert, Robert Hur, I think it is, cleared him of any criminal acts or intent in taking classified documents after he was vice president. It was he was he was careless in contrast to Trump's deliberate, deceitful taking and then lying. So there's a huge difference between these two cases, which her did make uh, clear. But hers a movement conservative, Federal Society lawyer, and he sought to protect his right wing credentials by gratuitously uh, declaring that Biden was an old man with a faulty memory. Then that was bad. Then the president. Compounded the problem by having a press conference to deny he was an old man with a faulty memory, and then confused Mexico and Egypt. I mean, James, it reminded me of a story almost 50 years ago. There was a magazine called the New Times had a circulation of about 11. I mean, 11, just you know, pure 11. And they wrote a piece saying that Bill Scott, was senator from Virginia, was the dumbest person in in the United States Senate. And then what he did, he called a press conference the next day to deny he was that dumb. It was on the front page of the Washington Post, every Virginia paper. Why in the hell Biden had that press conference, I will never know. Biden is not dumb, and I think he's capable of governing, but he is old, and it shows it. And uh, I am exactly his age, James, a couple weeks younger. And I am busy, you know, working with you, writing a column, teaching. But 20 years ago, I was running a big bureau, wrote a column, did a regular TV show, chair of the JFK profile and courage uh, on the uh, trustee of um, my, my alma mater. I couldn't do all that today. I couldn't do all that today. And, and, and I don't have anything like never have had one, one thousandth the pressure that Biden feels. So we both wish Biden had not run. But it's not an easy time addressing the age issue for him, compounded this past week. Can't go out and give a lot of interviews and, and town halls, as some have suggested. And the only thing is to say the choice is between an aging candidate who has had a great one term and would have been better off not running, but is, and a criminal who doesn't really believe in democracy. Now, that's an easy choice, but it's going to be tough
2: this fall. I'm going to defer my comments on Mr. Hur until the outrage. So, we see this Wednesday night, uh, uh, last Wednesday night, I guess it was. And we all watched it. And the answer is, they send a bunch of perfectly not competent uh, Hall of Fame historians, John Malintz, uh, uh, Michael Besloff uh, or uh, Hall of Fame of Paul Krugman, and said, well, I met with the president, and he seemed fine. He was responsive, and he listened to what I said, and he had follow-up questions, and why would I pay any attention to that when I can see what I see with my own fucking lying eyes? Like So, okay, Mexico, Egypt, the, the, anybody could get that confused. The, the, the shuffling, the everything else? I don't think so. I think, you know, and I think we, we're probably going to go to post with this, We where we are. And remember, they turned down an interview on the Super Bowl. All right. So the facts are you're 3.75% down in the public averages. So, you know, I don't know, maybe it's two. And you have a shot at. It wouldn't be 123 million in that, but it'd probably be 60, 65 million people. And you can't do it. You literally can't do it. And so you missed that opportunity. And, of course, that is the campaign and the people around him, I suspect his family, saying, Joe, you can't do this. It's it's too big a risk. All right? And then they decide that they're going to do their own video. And it's just going to be on football because that was his last deal he wanted to do. They wanted to do with CBS. Was, Don't ask me about politics or my job, but ask me football questions. in CBS, I think correctly, I know correctly, said no, we're not going to do that. So he does his own video of which he's in control of, and I think ask him a tough question: Who's your favorite Kelsey? Travis or Jason? And of course. He says, "Mom, Kelsey," and they put a picture up. And Mom Kelsey is a, you know, very nice housewife from Ohio, because she makes good chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I could roll out to bed laughing. I mean, it, that's the subject, But that's all they can yeah. do. They don't have any other choice. That's what we're going to post. What and go to post, we will. Go to post, we will. But and somebody will come out and say, "Well, maybe actually he was coherent." i supposed to. Be. And then you watch him on TV.
1: Well, I think I, th- I think you're right. And, you're uh, and let's just hope that uh, people appreciate, or worry, or fear more the evil alternative.
2: Z-Biotics is my cigarette to a great morning after a fun night. We had Super Bowl Sunday, and we also had uh, the Bacchus Parade, which is a huge local parade, and we had parades all day. My, my personal favorite was Tux, where the, uh, the king sits on the toilet, and they, they, for favorites, they throw out plastic plungers. But at any rate, you can imagine how you might feel after all of that activity and assume like most people and you had to go to work on monday the difference between having something like this available to you and just trying to gut through the day and drinking coffee is all the difference in the world. Yeah. and that's going to happen to people all the time even the best meaning people are going to go watch the game or they're going to be involved in something or go to a party and they're going to have too much to drink And you got to be productive the next day and this stuff can really, really save you.
1: When I was younger, before I knew about Z-Biotics, I would try to drink Coca-Cola in the morning. It didn't work. Uh, Biotics, though, is the perfect way to make sure you perform your best after a long night out. It's a pioneering effort by PhD scientists to create the world's first genetically engineered probiotic to accomplish a greater good tackling rough mornings after drinking so you get back to business. Now, to fill you in, Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Now, here's how it works. When you drink alcohol, it gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. So Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Now, just remember, to make Z-Biotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and then you're going to feel your best in the next morning. Thanks to Z-Biotics, James will even go. James, you can even go on those long runs after long nights, and that's with a cold D.C. mornings or even a hot New Orleans morning. Every time we have a Z-Biotics before a drink, It makes such a difference the next day. Even if I have drinks at a dinner with friends or with sources the night before, I know I'll be able to jump into action right after waking up. So join us in feeling ready to go with Z-Biotics, whether it's writing all day, heading out on a run, or even going in front of an audience. Z-Biotics was definitely our MVP on Super Bowl Sunday, so make sure it's in your lineup. Join us in making better work and fitness habits while still enjoying your nights out. Go to ZBiotics.com slash PWR to get 15% off your first order and use the code PWR at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with a hundred percent money back guarantee. So if you're not satisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, Head to zbiotics.com PWR and use the code PWR at checkout for 15% off. Hey, thanks to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. You can grab the link in our show notes. Hey, James, our guest is one of the best legal minds In America, even though she's in Italy right now, Pam Carlin, Stanford law professor, former Supreme Court clerk, former Justice Department assistant attorney general. There's no one better. Pam, with four criminal indictments, 91 counts, Trump's fate may well be in the hands of the courts. But the picture is not clear. First, Jack Smith's January 6th case where Trump basically claims he's immune from prosecution. One man is a king. Logic, political and judicial uh, sorts suggest that the Supreme Court has an obvious middle ground, side with Trump, that he cannot be disqualified from the ballots because of the insurrection and rule, that he does not have immunity. Is that too simple?
0: No, I don't think that's too simple at all. I mean, technically, the two cases are totally separate one from another. That is whether he can right. be on the ballot. And whether he can be tried for crimes he committed while he was in office, there's no necessary connection between those. But I I think a lot of people are assuming that the Supreme Court is going to essentially split the baby there and allow him to be put back on the ballot, require him to be put back on the ballot, uh, but hold that he is not immune from criminal prosecution.
1: Pam, if that's the case, uh, it may be all about timing, about speed. Uh, Trump wants the court to slow walk this. He said you know, a very careful del- deliberation on this critical question uh, as if he's deliberated. Uh, how and, and that's in order that th- the trial won't take place before the election. How realistic is that possibility, that danger?
0: Well, it's a danger if the Supreme Court doesn't rule fairly quickly on the claim of absolute immunity from prosecution because – you know, each of the, the the trial is likely to take quite a while. I mean, it's not going to be a short case, the January 6th case. And so it realistically has to begin by sometime early in the summer uh, to get it done uh, before uh, the election is is decided. And I think that the other thing is, you know, the closer it gets to the election, the more he's going to argue that even if he's not entitled to absolute immunity, Uh, the courts should exercise their discretion not to have a trial in the midst of the election season.
1: But Pam, if the court rules say, um, you know, the end of February, early March, uh, there's no reason they can't start that trial in
0: in April. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think they can necessarily start it in April, but they can start it fairly soon thereafter. I mean, a lot of it depends on how much of the discovery that's been stayed and how much of the pretrial proceedings that have been stayed for the last month, essentially, while we uh, have been going through this process of him seeking review in the in the D.C. Circuit and then the Supreme Court, how much stuff still remains to be done before the trial begins.
1: Let me turn to a couple of the others. The criminal charge in Atlanta uh, seemed rather easy. They have him they have him on tape, they have him on the telephone saying, you know, change the get get me votes, change the change the election outcome. But the prosecutor, Fannie Wills, has jeopardized this, it seems, with reports of the affair she had with a man tapped to play a top role. In the case, there's even an effort now to disqualify her. Whatever the merits, and I don't know them here, isn't the case certainly delayed until after the election. Maybe it would have been anyway. And at least the credibility of the prosecutor under a cloud.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it, it was an incredibly bad move on uh, the DA's part, on Ms. Wilson's part, uh, to hire somebody with whom she had this kind of relationship. uh, Even before... All of this came out, that case was not really scheduled to begin until the summer. Uh, That's a case with multiple defendants. So it has a very different kind of valence than, for example, Jack Smith's uh, two cases. Uh, Each, you know, the case in Washington, which is the one that I think is more likely to go forward quickly. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, is the only defendant, whereas the you know, the, the Georgia case is 19 defendants, some of whom have pleaded guilty, not clear which ones would be tried at which point. So that case was already kind of complicated. I mean, not complicated on what happened, but complicated on how you would how you would adjudicate it, how you'd try it.
1: And how quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, the final one, I'll turn to James, is that the Mar-a-Lago case, Trump taking the classified documents, it looked like and refusing to return them and lying about it, it looked like a slam dunk. But the judge he appointed to the court, I think her name is Eileen Cannon or Elaine Cannon, seems to be showing her appreciation and undercutting the case.
0: Yeah, she's been moving very slowly. And recently they've had a a set of um, ex-party meetings where we don't know exactly what happened during the meetings to try and deal with uh, what Forms of classified information the government is going to have to turn over in advance of the trial, and you've probably heard this phrase "gray mail," which is uh, like blackmail. Mm-hmm. Only what it is is you know a defendant essentially says to the government, uh, "If I'm going to trial, I'm going to reveal all these all this stuff you don't want revealed," and so the government feels pressured to drop the case. I don't think that's going to happen here, but I think it's going to take a good long time for Judge Cannon to rule, and then. My guess is she'll rule in a way that the prosecution doesn't like, and they'll have to take that up to the 11th Circuit. And so that case, which is a very simple case on the kind of meat and bones on the substance of the case, might be the last of these to go to trial, if it goes at all. Yeah. James Carville? Probably,
2: uh, I will see, I um, don't know, that that the, the Judge Cannon is so egregious that the 11th Circuit, maybe it's a fantasy, uh, could replace her. Is that possible or is that highly unusual? Is there any chance that this could happen? Uh, what what where do you come down on this question? So
0: it, it's, it's possible, it's highly unusual, and it's hard to know whether they're going to do that or not. Um, you know, it's... a on some cases where a court of appeals decides that a district judge has gotten stuff really wrong, they will remand the case with directions to have it reassigned to another judge so they don't have to keep uh, reversing a judge. You know, her last opinion that went up to the court of appeals in this case was just so egregious. That was when she was trying to appoint a special master and the like, you know, if, if she does something like that, again, I would expect that there'd be some serious consideration of whether to replace her because it just doesn't look good to have somebody slow walking a case that really needs to go to trial quickly.
2: So this is something that uh, in the Mueller report famously said that he didn't didn't have sufficient evidence to indict Trump for Russia Whatever it is, cooperation, collusion, whatever the word is. And that because he didn't, he wasn't going to comment on it because Justice Department policy was you speak through indictments. And if you're not going to indict somebody, you you stop it. Then, of course, I will talk about this in outrage. We do what Washington always wants us to do. Barry Garland, maybe, you know, the worst attorney general that I can (laughs) remember, appoints her. All right. we'll, We'll talk about that in outrage. So, Mr. As I understand, it, under the statute, Mr. Hur has to write a report and give the report to the attorney general. That's correct. It, it, does the attorney general have, could he have redacted the gratuitous stuff that was in there that, that Mueller or other people said you shouldn't do or that Justice Department policy was you only speak through indictments and if you don't indict somebody, then shut up and go on with the next thing. I'm, I'm curious as to how could... Garland have deleted that from the report that her made. Did he have to make hers report public, or what, what's what, what's going on here?
0: So, the Justice Department, as I understand, it, has a policy of making these reports public. Now, things can be redacted from them, and indeed, if I'm recalling correctly, I think a lot of stuff was redacted in the Mueller report for national security reasons. Um, the other thing, of course, is that. Um, Again, you will remember this quite well. When uh, Attorney General Barr released the Mueller report, he released a sort of summary of it as well that was designed to shape what the message was to the public. And that clearly could have been done here because the the real news here was uh, that, um, you know, that Rob Heard did not think he could get a conviction of um, Joe Biden And that what Joe Biden did was materially different from what Donald Trump has done, but that all got lost because everybody was focused so much on the kind of uh, gratuitous uh, uh, additional stuff. The thing it reminded me of the most in that way was um, a review in Field and Stream of Lady Chatterley's Lover, where they said, this is a really great book about gamekeeping on a Midlands estate, (laughs) but it's just punctuated by these gratuitous sex scenes. And I feel that way about, the, the her report that it was a you know it was a fairly straightforward report on you know joe biden while he may have been somewhat careless what did not willfully engage in criminal behavior and that just got lost due to the gratuitous discussions of well, how good is he on dates
2: but also but that gratuitous discussion is i appreciate it is against justice department policy
0: yeah you're not, you're not supposed to, to say things in one of these reports that somebody isn't going to get the opportunity to respond to in court if the stuff is damaging to them.
2: Okay. And, and, and Garland choose to let it all, all of the dirty laundry, if you will, yeah. be aired out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. <I, laughs> Okay, Al, back to you. Thank you. Thank well, you.
1: Thank I'm, you not very gonna much. Def- I'm not going to defend. I'm
2: not no, going to. I'm not going to defend no. Garland, I
1: mean, but it. I think if he had exercised that, the odds are about hundred to one that Garland and the Federalist Society would have found a way to get it out, and then oh accused, yeah, it, then, it would have been leaked. But it would have been leaked by somebody. The Attorney somebody. General of covering up. So anyway, it would have but, been but there. But I
0: do think I do think it would have been useful for there to be some framing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that says, I, I agree. This, totally.
0: this report did not find that, you know, that Joe Biden committed a crime or that his guilt could be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. And as a result, we're not going to go forward with a prosecution. That was the real news. And it it kind of got lost.
1: Pam, you're an expert on the Supreme Court. Let's go back to what as a total uh, observer, layperson, if you will, uh, <clears throat> that might take on the court. And that is that the chief cares desperately about its reputation, and its reputation is in tatters. Uh, and that bothers him a great deal. And I don't think it bothers Alito or Thomas, you know, one iota. So when this case comes up, I think both given the law and his feelings about the court, <clears throat> the chief, along with the three progressives, are almost certainly going to vote uh, against Trump on immunity. And that means that the three, uh, hopefully like Nixon, it could be a unanimous decision. But with Alito and Thomas, I rather doubt it. So that leaves the three others, Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch. Is there any sense of how they can be sized up?
0: Well, I don't think they're, you know, they haven't done anything really that indicates yet what they're thinking on this is. But again, the law just seems so straightforward. And what the Mm -hmm. D.C. Circuit, you know, the D.C. Circuit oral argument made it so clear. It just can't be the case that a president can commit blatant crimes while in office and there's nothing to be done about that unless they both find out about the crimes while he's still in office and impeach him and convict him and remove him from office. I mean, there was this moment in the D.C. Circuit where one of the judges said, if the president told the, you know, the special forces to assassinate his opponent, could anything be done about that? And you know, Donald Trump's lawyer basically said, not unless Congress impeaches him and removes him from office. And that just can't be right.
1: Boy, that, that, that's horrible. One final question, I'll turn it back. Um, the Times, the New York Times had an interesting piece last Sunday by Robert Draper on Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows is sort of the mystery man here. He testified before Jack Smith's grand jury, the grand jury run by Jack Smith, for six hours And now, you know, it seems to me it's not leaping to not leaping very much to say if you testify for six hours, you're not just talking about what a, you know, what a great leader Donald Trump was.
0: Well, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, on the one hand, he might be testifying very fully. On the other hand you know, a witness in front of the grand jury can ask after every question to leave the room and talk to his lawyer and then come back and read the formulaic, you know, on the advice of counsel, I must d- decline to answer that question on the grounds so that my answer may tend to incriminate me. So it's it's hard to know for how long somebody was there, how much they say.
2: All right, James? So, so uh, Prof, you've been watching this for a long time. You've been involved in this at every level. Uh, one of the things that, Strikes me as there can never be a democratic special counsel. If a Republican is being investigated, well, we better put a Republican special counsel in that. If a Democrat is being investigated, well, we better put a, a, a Republican special counsel in that. And then the special counsel sends it Mueller, who's another Republican, Rod Rosenstein, who we were told, well, oh, he's a principal conservative." Bullshit, Bull- t- total bullshit. So they send it up to Barr. He totally mischaracterizes what's in there, to the point that even Mueller's had enough. And then, of course, Garland appoints her, who I will get to in my outrage. And he, in total contradiction to, to, to policy anything, issues this report. Garland, I don't know, say, signs off on it. The report gets issued. Why do you think that Washington always wants a Republican special counsel? Are there any Democratic lawyers who are capable of doing this?
0: Oh, there are tons of Democratic lawyers who are capable of doing this. I mean, virtually every Democratic lawyer who's served in an inspector general position at any point would be eminently capable of doing this. Uh, virtually any uh, experienced criminal prosecutor who's a Democrat, who've been a Democratic appointee, uh, to a U.S. attorney's office would be capable of doing this. I, th- I think it is just a difference between a party that cares about appearance and a party that doesn't care about appearance at all.
2: Well, I, okay, so appearance is important. So you appear better if you allow them to investigate themselves, or you appear better if you allow them to investigate your side. i, I all respect that's the logic that we're in now and it strikes me is ludicrous <laughs> to be, to be well, you
0: know I mean one of the one of the things that Justice Scalia said when he um, dissented from the opinion uh, in which the Supreme Court upheld the independent counsel which is different than the special counsel, is he said look one of the things that is there is a natural uh, inclination on the part of these folks uh, to keep going and to dig in various ways, because this is all they've got, right? An average prosecutor has to think: Is this the best case for me to be working on? Are there other cases that are better, or like? And you know, the special counsel just has every incentive um, to to do what Rob Her did, and you know, I, I mean, the idea that they appointed somebody who had been the principal deputy attorney, the principal deputy to the deputy attorney general during a Republican administration and they didn't expect that they would see at least some skewing in the report strikes me as naive.
2: It, my, just so you know, my personal favorite is always the Durham mm. report.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah. 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 He, he gives out. new meaning to the phrase, Durham, he Durham. Right?
2: T- we were told that he was a principled— prosecutor and that he would be ultimately fair. I, I, I just go, I thank you so much, Prof. Back to you. Alex. You
1: know, I, I, I go there. back so many years uh, and this guy later became uh, our lawyer. But back when Ed Meese, when a special counsel was appointed to look at Ed Meese, it was Jake Stein, a great Washington lawyer who spent, I think, Pam, about two months. And basically his report said, this guy is sleazy, but there's nothing indictable here. I mean and, and and it took a gra- yeah. it took I think even seven or eight weeks. There's no reason that her I mean I don't know Jack Smith had a had a had a uh, you know a similar case and it took him what he you know a matter of a couple months, right? Uh, I mean it's just it is yeah. I agree with James it's outrageous.
2: Listen, would you Jack Smith is not a he, he he's he's not is he an independent counsel or is he just
0: well, he's a special counsel because he came back from the um, court. Uh, International yeah, yeah. Criminal Court to do this. But he was a career. He was a career DOJ lawyer. He was not a political appointee right. in his prior life. And you know, I mean, I will say one thing: having spent time at the Justice Department, the career people at the Justice Department have a great deal of integrity. Right. Uh, And they're not going to skew things in a political direction in the way that, you know, as a political appointee, you are there to do the work that your president wants done. And that's that's just a very different kind of that's just a very different kind of job.
1: Listen, uh, Pam Carlin, please go back and have a great meal in Florence, Italy. And, thank uh, you so much. Uh, thank you so much
2: for taking. It
0: is it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> yeah,
2: thank <laughs> you, so me- nice, Bob. Thank you, Bob. We love you so much.
0: Sono contentissima
2: Oh my God, we could go on for another
1: half hour. Hey Pam, thanks. We'll talk soon.
0: Okay, Take care.
1: Hey. Bye.
2: Get a good night's sleep with Beam. You know, first of all, it tastes good, and it it really, for whatever reason, you know, it gets you where you're kind of looking forward to falling asleep, which is, to my mind, the most determinative factor you can have for a good day the next day is a is a good night's sleep the night before. Yeah, I slept good. I woke up this morning, and I looked. I actually sleep with my watch, and I looked at my watch, and it was seven thirty, and I could not have been happier. Usually, I look at it sleep four o'clock in the morning.
1: Well, sleep, I think, as you suggest, is the foundation of our mental and physical health. Now, when you're sleeping well, you can perform at your best, mentally and physically. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, and improve your mood. Introducing Beam's Dream Powder, a science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep. Dream has been a game changer for our sleep. You know, you have to love knowing all it takes is one delicious cup of Beam before getting into bed, and you're going to be sleeping like a baby, ready to take on the day ahead. And today, our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. There's tons of delicious flavor like chocolate peanut butter, they're pandering to me, I love that, cinnamon cocoa, and sea salt caramel. They're only 15 calories with zero grams of sugar. Now, I like to have a different one every night. It's always a treat, and wanting better sleep no longer keeps you up at night. Other sleep aids can cause next-day grogginess, but Dream contains a powerful, all-natural blend of reishi extract, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Now, the numbers don't lie. A clinical study showed that 93% of participants reported DREAM helped them get better sleep. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive, isn't it, James?
2: 93%? Take those odds every I don't day. Think you, I don't think well, you've ever never won an here.
1: election with 93%, have you? No, and and
2: the thing about it, it really tastes good. So get a good night's sleep and have a pleasant taste in your mouth when you fall asleep. That's everything.
1: Beam Dream, uh, it's easy to add to your nighttime routine. Just mix Dream into hot water or milk, froth, and enjoy before bed. Now you're going to find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. So if you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, Get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash warroom and use the code warroom at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash warroom and use code warroom for up to 40% off. Now you also can find the link in our show notes. All right, and now for the outrages of the week. Boy, do we have a lot to choose from, Mr. Carville. Now that the National Football League is over, I've watched all 58 Super Bowls, by the way, and this is one of the best ever. I'm looking for new games. I got one. The Trump SS, as in stupid suck-ups, intentionally redundant. Much of the Republican Party is in contention, but a few still Stand out. I apologize to Tim Scott and others who were in the finals, but didn't quite make it. Lindsey Graham was with John McCain once, a stalwart hawk in Russia. McCain once called that a gas station masquerading as a country. But for Lindsey, or squiggly tea biscuit, as Christopher Buckley calls him, it would be John who, as he takes his orders now from Commandant Trump. The latest embarrassment was the South Carolinian voting against the much-needed aid package to Ukraine, in his struggle to fend off Russia's invasion. He said he wasn't bothered by Trump's charge that if a NATO country didn't meet his defense targets, he would encourage Putin to attack them. Now, some of the other senators, you know, this this vote could have been out of ignorance. Tommy Tuberville, for example, couldn't spe- couldn't spell NATO. But Lindsey Graham knows better, but it's more important for him to please the Don. And... But the front runner, I think Lindsay is only really a second place. The front runner in the Trump SS contest is New York Rep. Elise Stefanik, who this week filed an ethics complaint against the New York Attorney General for having the audacity to bring a fraud fraud charge against Donald Trump. Can you imagine Donald Trump committing fraud? Now it gets worse. As she pants and panders to be the Don's running mate, she declared if she had been Mike Pence on January the 6th, she would not have followed the law, she would not have routinely counted the electoral votes as required by the Constitution, she would have tried to enable a Trump coup instead. Greg Jacob, who worked with Stefanik in the Bush White House and, quote, enthusiastically, end quote, contributed to her first congressional campaign, thinking she was a thoughtful, principled, conservative, was appalled. No one, he wrote in the Wall Street Journal, who espouses such lawless views should hold any position of authority. Absolutely. Although her views on the rule of law certainly do conform with Trump's.
2: So we're seeing two things currently. We're seeing that uh, everybody's holding their breath and say, well, the Supreme Court decided immunity. And if they do, Can we have the trial in in May? But if it puts off to September, then if Trump wins, can we put it off? And it it happened January 6th of uh, of 2021. Of course, our great attorney general, who we were all all assured was a principled person who was going to restore integrity to the Justice Department, decided that he didn't want to investigate January 6th because he thought it would look too political. Imagine being political by investigating the most massive crime against the Constitution since Fort Sumter. But he didn't. And thank God we had politicians that came in. And politicians held hearings. And of course, the hearings exposed criminality, of which our distinguished Cosmos Club, established uh judicious, thoughtful attorney general had no other choice but to start an investigation a long time after these criminal acts were committed. And so now, thanks to our attorney general, we're up against the clock. At the same week, we get the, her report. Uh, who was, by the way, appointed by our distinguished establishmentarianism, highly credentialed attorney general, a gentleman by the name of Robert Hur. What could be possibly wrong with a man named Robert Hur? I mean, well, he worked at Kirkland and Ellis under Brent Kavanaugh. He was a clerk for William Rehnquist, who, if you recall, was one of the most famous, whose career started as a vote suppressor, intimidating Hispanic voters in Arizona. And so then Mr. Herr, of course, is in the Federalist Society, so we can all be assured that the integrity of the Justice Department was going to be upheld. So he issues a report, which is totally contrary to Justice Department policy, of which, of course, Robert Mueller, another Republican, because there can be no other special counsels, but Republican special counsels, because that is the law of Washington. It is chiseled in marble, and it has been validated through through the years that only Republicans can investigate Republicans, and only Republicans can investigate Democrats because, well, it will make them happy. Well, I hope you're happy now. I hope you had every kind of gratuitous piece of shit that you had. You waited until your hand was forced to investigate one of the most massive criminal acts in modern American history. You appointed a, a political zealot to investigate the president of the United States. Good work, Merrick. Maybe if somebody appoints you to the Supreme Court again, Mitch McConnell will be nice to you. Because that's all you care about is what Republicans think about. Hey, folks, join us and let's make that switch to real paper. You know, we've talked about this before. Everything that people do in, in terms of the environment and everything else that goes around it, particularly climate, it, it it, individual actions are going to be the thing that saves this uh, this planet and these people have a hell of an idea and i just hope that i mean i know they'll be successful because the product is too good it makes too much sense it's too easy to get all right and i i actually hope and i mean i love them because they sponsor it. i i hope people use this kind of I guess you'd call it technology or innovation, uh, to a whole lot of other products that would be possible because this stuff, is it it makes all the sense in the world. On top of that, it's just a damn comfortable-to-use product.
1: Sure is. And now here's a history lesson. The first, perforated toilet paper rolls were introduced in 1890. But it wasn't until 1930 it was officially splinter-free. Prior to that, people just used what was on hand, corn cobs, pages from the Farmer's Almanac, these days we're clear cutting our forest just to make something that we use once and flush down the toilet. It's time for a change. That's why we love real paper. Real makes a sustainable toilet paper that contains no trees and instead uses a hundred percent bamboo and real paper is certified by the forest stewardship council, meaning that they are responsibly harvesting the bamboo grass that's used for their paper. Plus, while other conventional tree based papers are wrapped in plastic in the grocery aisle, Real Papers packaging is a plastic free, compostable and, and also offers free shipping on all orders. Now it's so comfortable and soft you'll never go back to the old stuff. So join us in making a switch that makes a difference. We love how Real even partners with one tree planting, so with every box of real that you buy, they are funding reforestation efforts across the country. Unlike the other toilet papers that cuts down trees, Real helps actively plant them. Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash warroom, and sign up for a subscription using our code WARROOM at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash WARROOM or enter promo code WARROOM to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. So let's stop flushing our forest and try Reel's tree-free paper. Reel is paper for the planet. And you also can find the link in our show notes. All right, James, now for our listener questions. Jim in Daniel Island, South Carolina, says, am I cynical, he asked, or is there a 100% chance that some Republican congressmen, senators are taking money from Russia? How big a role does
2: foreign money play in our politics, James? I know that you are shocked <laughs> well no telling how many you know remember Moscow mitch you know, how many outlets the Republicans have that are funded them but and, and Trump who takes it directly from russia <laughs> I mean there's not much, there's not much doubt about that and You know, Putin's got to be laughing himself silly on the gullibility of the Republican Party and the gullibility uh, of the American people uh, to think there's something remotely legit about this entire thing, Uh, I think the evidence abounds. You know, you only had to look. Oh wait, one of the most underreported, underappreciated documents in probably was bipartisan, so we can all be happy about that. Was the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, which said there was Russian interference everywhere, and the Trump, was and for somehow or another that, that never got the exposure that it should have. And if we have to learn that, if you love America, you stop appeasing these bastards. But we just keep appeasing them, and we keep thinking that they'll do the right thing, that they'll be principled, that they're really Americans first and Republicans second. Oh, bullshit. Total bullshit.
1: Jay in Columbia, South Carolina. Boy, we're in a Palmetto state uh, mode right there.
2: Yeah, we got a, That's a cool state. He I says, like says debates
1: between candidates is a political expectation, yet with two faltering men showing little appetite, For them. What is the likelihood of a debate between Biden and Trump? Trump actually has already challenged Biden to debates uh, because he thinks he is faltering. Have political debates exceeded their shelf life? What could take their place? Well, I certainly think the presidential uh, debate, uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates, uh, has uh, uh, outlived its. usefulness probably several cycles ago there's going to be something i don't know what it is one of the networks may come up with some kind of a deal and promise to have certain people on not ask certain questions i don't think it'll matter much i don't think most debates actually mattered much presidential debates but um uh, you know this is one i'm 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 not really going to eagerly anticipate a biden trump debate of course
2: as part of my example the Chairman of the Presidential Debate Commission would be none other than Frank Ferencourt, who, you guessed it, was the former chairman of the Republican Party. But So we can all be assured. And he's also a lobbyist for the gaming industry. In case you don't know what the gaming industry is, it's a fancy word for the casinos and the gambling and the books and in the gambling industry. All right. And, of course, a very distinguished commission in 2008, doesn't put the debate in New Orleans. They put it in, in Mississippi because Mississippi has casino gambling and they cut a backdoor house deal. But let's be assured that in the event that this thing is still existing, Ms. Fankoff resigns, the cause will be immediate to have another Republican as chairman because there's no way that uh, a Democrat could be have that kind of competence or that kind of fairness. It's just another bullshit example of... Where well, we are. I never thought the thing was worth a shit at the beginning. And, of course, Biden's not going to debate. He can't answer the Super Bowl question. So in, in, I don't know if we better. I think we're probably better off not even having a debate.
1: James, we got a lot of bovine manure in this uh, <laughs> this segment here. Uh- we sure I do,
2: because there's a lot of bullpond manure that's coming out of Chris in West but- Chicago, <laughs> Illinois.
1: He said, nothing seems to be working for Biden to so raise his poll numbers. So it seems high time for the Biden campaign to get into the pigsty with Trump. They need to find the Democratic Lee Atwater. You agree, James? And who would be a worthy successor to Lee?
2: Well, hey, right. I, You know, Biden is just, he's not a great counterpuncher. But let's leave it at that. And there's plenty of things. There are plenty of people who will do what I refer to as the wet work. All right, wet work is a CIA term for assassinations. I'm not talking about assassinating anybody, so sit down and shut the fuck up. But I'm talking about going after Trump again and again and again, which is important. If I had a piece of advice in the messaging of shoot the Biden campaign, it all go thusly. It's, I get a, seven calls a week, Is the economy stupid, and why isn't Biden doing better? Because everybody says the economy is doing better. And in, in everything has to do with what people call cost of limit, not inflation. Don't use the inflation word. And they say, correctly, so we, you come in the office, and, and I don't know, a gallon of gas costs $250, and gas goes to $4, and it's back to $325. And you're trying to argue with people that, well, it's 75% cheaper than it was a year ago, but it's 75% more expensive than it was when you took office. And who do people think is behind this? I exactly who they think. They think these companies are you price gouging, that they're fixing prices. And you know what? Maybe the public is right. Maybe the public has a point. Maybe the public doesn't suck so much. So if I were the president, I would say I understand. That, you know, We're fighting this. We feel like we've made some progress on some fronts. There's still more progress to be made. That's why we brought the cost of insulin down to help families deal with this. That's why we can negotiate drug prices. That's why we released a strategic petroleum reserve to help try to get families to deal with the high cost of, of, of gasoline. And to uh, further our efforts in helping American families to deal with this, I have— ask Merrick Garland, because he's too goddamn weak to do anything, to appoint a special counsel to investigate price fixing, price gouging, price anything you can think of that corporate America and energy companies are doing to screw the American consumer. And I would re- expect a report on my desk in this within four months. If you do that, you're showing people you're on their side, that you understand what what, what they're going through. And you understand who the real culprit is because people tell focus group after focus group after focus group after focus group to come back with the same thing. It's not particularly complimentary to Biden. Be frank. Well, Biden, he's too old to really cause inflation. What's really causing it are these companies are colluding on prices and he can't do anything to stop them. And if you, you want to talk about the economy in a positive way and let people know that you know what's going on in their lives, stop telling them that their lives are great and start telling them how you're going to make their lives better.
1: Makes sense to me. Annie, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who do the Democrats have ready if Biden can't run or bows out and something fatal happens to him? Annie, how do I count? the numbers. There are so many. And I think you first look outside of Washington. Governors, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, Roy Cooper, newcomers who were so good, they would even be ready for prime time quickly. Josh Shapiro, Wes Moore. There's so much talent out there. It's not going to happen, Annie. It's not going to happen. He is going to stay in and Harris is going to stay in. And what you're going to have to do, Annie, is just say, okay, I'm not happy with this But uh, is it better than having a criminal in the White House? I think the answer is yes.
2: Yeah. uh, You know, there's no secret, not to be denied, not that I'd want to deny it or you would, anybody that this show has been one of the most skeptical. uh, Two things that this show has been really consistently, it's been vehemently anti-Trump from its inception, and it has also been highly skeptical, it's a polite word I want to use, of Biden running for mm-hmm. re-election. Uh, we are apparently, although I'm, you know, I said earlier, I, I, I don't think Biden or Trump will be on the ballot in November. Uh, I will admit that that seems unlikely, maybe highly unlikely. I still don't think it's impossible. There's just a lot of there's a lot left to go here. And one of the things that I find is that no one just appreciates how bad these numbers are. And you say, well, James, you know, we had Fred Yang and we had Jim Gerstein on, and you know, they boy, they got clients and they're, they're tremendous guests. And you got to understand that, you know, back in your day, it was common for politicians to be over 50, that's kind of a thing in the past, which is true. And then the president's people say, well, James, you got to understand the president's proves are low, but we're getting more somewhat disapproved to vote for us than you would expect back to in your payday. Okay, true. So the, the latest Hart poll, so I just want to be clear, which there's any gold standard in Poland is the Hart research people, and, and I think it's highly justifiable that they have this reputation. Showed that Biden had a disapproval of 60. Oh, well, okay, that's terrible, but maybe that, you know, we can get the soft disapprove, somewhat disapprove of uh, The strong disapproval was 49. The somewhat disapprove was 11. That's not a good ratio. That's not a good ratio. That's not good at all. It's bad. It's historically bad. And somebody should have pointed out. As opposed to just posting the number and putting it in the frequency questionnaire and having people have to go, like I have to do and go dig it out. Why don't somebody do presidential strong disapproval by history? But you know, I, th- I think we're going through with this, and I don't think people have sufficient information of just how daunting this <laughs> general is. Well, James, here's
1: how you can help them. Abby in Bella Kinwood, Pennsylvania, that's near the area, that's my home, home country, uh, she says, I'm interested in making effective political contributions for state-level candidates. Do you think it's best to donate to organizations such as the States Project, the local Democratic Party, or the candidates themselves? Also, what organizations... Do you recommend that focus on getting out the vote?
2: I've, that's less in my wheelhouse. I would go, I mean, we, we're going to do this. I promise y'all we're going to do this. And we always do tout the Wisconsin State Democratic Party because it's, it's good. Ben Weckler's is a tremendous friend of the show, but it, he's not a friend because. We're doing him a favor. We're doing a friend because he's one of the best parties he has ever. The same thing is true in Virginia. I think the same thing is true in Michigan. Not so much true in Pennsylvania. Not so much true in Nevada. But we need to get someone who really knows these state parties and let's give people, you know, the top five most critical state parties they are. And so they can do that. Another project, and I want to see if somebody does this. I get a lot of people that want to help, but you know, that they, they can't travel, they gotta work from home, they have jobs, they have elderly, or they whatever. We gotta get somebody that puts out a list of voters who don't, you know, not habitual voters but likely democratic voters, and give this list to people who want to volunteer and have them write handwritten postcards. I, I think these things can work. I think this kind of stuff, like it's not gonna switch any election around, but if we if we can send you know, 100,000 a, a postcards to non-habitual, likely Democratic voters in, in Georgia or North Carolina or, or, or somewhere else. I, th- I think we can make an effect. And I think people, there are a lot of people who love their country that would participate in a project like this. So I'm, I'm going to try to do some research and see if anything like this exists or anything like this is possible. Because I just get too many people that want to do something and, you know, he said, Well, if somebody in California says, James, what can I do? I said, Well, you can move to Arizona. And they kind of giggle and say, Well, that's kind of hard. I got kids in school. You can't do that. And so we're going to work on some good places. Where you can effectively send a check because I think that's important to people. I think it's an act of political hygiene to do that, and I'm going to try to work through a system if we see we can get people. we we'll, we'll list of names and start writing.
1: Okay, documents. Abby, we're going to we're going to stay on this. James is going to stay on this, uh, and I and I want everybody else to write down that we have to get back to this. We're going to get back to you, Abby. Thanks for the very good question. The next is from Liz in New York City, who says. Why do you think senators like Romney, Tillis, and a few of the others are vocal about how fed up they are with MAGA, the MAGA takeover? Why don't they switch to independent? They can vote what they believe and help pass bills like Aid for Ukraine and the border bill. Liz, first of all, Romney's retiring because he can't take it. The others, they could switch to independent, and they get beaten then in the general election. Uh, MAGA people would nominate a Republican. Most Republicans would vote for that person. Most Democrats would vote for the Democrat. And that per- person's going to be, uh, you know, in the middle of the highway, which is not a good place to be. I wish it weren't so, but I'm afraid it is.
2: Yeah, I, I, I concur in your answer. In you know, they they get all kinds of stuff through the party, donations, they get a base of voters. Um, I mean, associated with a political party gives you, you know, a base of voters gives you resources, gives you think structure, gives you a lot, and to walk away from that is pretty, 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 pretty significant stuff. It's easier to say you're an independent than to actually be an independent.
1: Right, sure is. James, the final question is, I'm going to combine two because they're they're almost identical. Jeff in Saint Pete, uh, Saint Pete Beach, Florida, says it seems like Biden's no longer has the public communication skills and capabilities to take on Trump. This is something you've you've worried about. And Joni in Amherst, Massachusetts, wonders why he hasn't taken advantage of the presidency to talk directly and often to the public about what he's accomplished. Fireside chats seem like a slam dunk. What am I missing?
2: All right. So here we go, people. It's time for our little group here to have a a frank discussion. He, He can't. And and again, the, the, to me, one of the most significant things just happened in a political campaign was Biden opting out of the Super Bowl interview. And believe it or not, I kind of agree with him. And they made the conclusion that the risk, that the benefit would be this, the risk would be that. Like most people that make an evaluation, if you, you're going to buy a stock or buy a piece of land or buy something else, you say, well, th- this is the potential benefit. This is a political risk. When the risk is too high, you walk away from it. So we're going into this campaign and, and, you know, you have to look at a campaign like you look at anything else. I'm a big believer in this, a, a, a sports team, a, a military, a, a, a corporation. You have certain assets. All right, so you you run a campaign. What are your assets? You have assets of your base voters. You have fundraising. You have structure. You have staff. You have resources. You have research. You have advanced people. You got everything else. But generally, your most valuable asset that you possess is your candidate because the candidate can go out and the press is not going to follow. The, the research director is not going to be on the six o'clock news. The research director is, you know, I have a she or he may be. Uh, the base voters are not going to be people that are going to be front and center, as important as may be. And we're going into a campaign where we say we're not going to use our, in most campaigns, is the most valuable asset. You know, if you work for a guy like Bill Clinton, it's simple. Something happens, just put the candidate out there. Shit, that that don't take a whole lot of thinking. That's not what we face with. That's not what the Biden strategists are faced with. And I I kind of defend them because it's very hard to run a campaign with the candidate AWOL 80% of the time. Because they are not going to be debates, and, you know, of course, what, what he can do is he can do infrastructure events. He can do walking through the plant floor, talking to people kind of events. He still is very good at that. He's a very empathetic guy. It comes across. But they are not going to be any press conferences, not going to be any town halls. All right? You can't go and say, go there and. Go right into you know the 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 den the enemy's territory. Go in northern Wisconsin and ask me anything. anything cause that's not going to happen. You're not going to take these interviews. You're not going to do anything like that. You're not going to debate. And his strategists have a very difficult workaround here, and I have I have some sympathy
1: for. Yeah, him. I do too, James. i want to close something different talk about a tough calculation playing the odds. Um, the 49ers coach, um, Kyle Shanahan, is getting a lot of criticism for, in the overtime, deciding to uh, uh, receive and give Kansas City a shot after he took a shot. You know, I understand his calculation. I, I very little experience with this. Uh, it's a new rule for the NFL. But, you know, it's almost 50-50. The argument the other way is if Shanahan had decided to kick off and uh, Kansas City scored, and then San Francisco went down and scored, guess what happens next? Kansas City gets the ball, and if they score and they have Patrick Mahomes, they win. So either way, it's a tough, tough decision. I don't, uh, you know, maybe it didn't work out, but I think it's, un- I think it's unfair to criticize him for it.
2: Well, look, I agree with your point on just, you know that just comes into the territory. So what happened was last year against Buffalo, Kansas City gets the ball first and overtime to kick a field goal that's the end right. of the game. People rightly saying this is bullshit. You shouldn't have a playoff game decided right. by a coin toss. Okay. At, at this point, we're making a lot of sense. The NFL, the reason why it the NFL is is what it is. You know, it, is they change the rules when you have to. You know, we watch basketball. I mean, dean smith's four corners offense you know or people were dominating the center they put up the paint they put a plane They made it wide they put a shot clock in all made the game better they did a all kinds of things in football to make it actually made it better and i'll be, be honest with you it's made it somewhat safer baseball of course the the slowest to do made changes and it proved to be spectacularly successful so the nfl decides that you know you get if you score another team gets a chance to score. Then if the score is tied, then then you at at certain deaths. I agree with Shanahan. And so the, the big decision is he decides to kick field goal. And if, I know I'm getting the ball third. I'm stopping Kansas City pretty consistently. At this point Kansas City I think had one touchdown.
1: Yeah, but you stopped them in the first half, not so much the second half.
2: Well they will field but they were kicking field goals. All right. So the chances that you're gonna stop them from a touchdown are pretty good. So if they kick a field goal. Well, then you're in the Catburg seat because you get another possession, and if you kick a field goal, the game is over. Now what I didn't quite what was confusing to a lot of people was they had a quarter clock. So, you were watching, if you were watching the little thing on the bottom of the TV that we all do, it was third down and six, and it was 2018 seconds left, which of course is meaningless. The quarter didn't make it, it was just going to change. The, there was no win, there was no reason to do that. It was just slightly confusing. And also, some of the San Francisco players said they didn't know the rules, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. But I think I, I agree with you. And I think if I were in the same position as Shanahan, I would have made the same choice. Now, we grew up, when we watched football, every time the team would choose to receive. Now, every time the team wants the ball to start the second half, I I probably... When did that change? Where did we go from 95% wanting the ball on the opening kickoff to 95% wanting the ball in the second half? I don't know. I can't remember when it Pretty happened, ashamed, but I know yeah. it happened over them, James, I would just
1: add that I think there's all kinds of calculations and all kinds of algorithms and analysis Um in any situation, I don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. He, he, he is up there now. He is he is creeping up on Tom Brady as maybe the greatest of all time. Not good. there yet, but, man, he is something. And, and he's never better than when it counts.
2: Yeah. I mean, the field goal, I mean, look, I've got about credit to the, the MVP, but, there, but this was not the best game I've ever seen. Midway through the fourth quarter. <laughs> for the rest of the time, as good a game as I've ever seen. But
1: I, 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 well, I think what got underrated is these are two tough defenses. These are really two tough defenses. Right. I mean, this was not just, you know, right. Uh, right. the offense is not working. Man, it was tough. But on uh, the other side drops. Right. In any event, okay, yeah. and, we'll uh, we'll continue this. And uh, you all, thanks for listening. Keep those. Keep those questions coming in, and we're going to answer that question that, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, what to, what to do and where to go to help your candidates. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. And don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicom. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Z-Biotics, Beam, and Real Paper, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting them because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. Now keep up with us. Subscribe to Politics World Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. And remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.